Hey guys, maybe you, like me, change things up a little bit for the summer. Some of my kids aren't in school any longer, but the ones that are, are certainly relieved when school is finally out. I know I love to have coffee on the deck and do things a little differently. I tend to stay up later just because the evenings in Minnesota are just phenomenal. And I love warm weather. So things are no different at little things. We're gonna switch things up just a bit for the summer. So you'll notice the first part of the summer in June and July, I have some super exciting interviews for you. I'm just really excited to introduce you to some people that I have found to be amazing. And then in August, you're gonna get a little special treat because I'm going to be off for the month because my son is getting married. And so we decided to do a little best of program. So the most listened to episodes of Little Things over the last couple of years will be available to you to listen to in August. But for now, I wanna introduce you to Dr. Joan Prince. Now, I'm from Minnesota, and uh, I have come to find that I live in a bit of a bubble. So I did not know who Dr. Joan Prince was until I heard her speak at a leadership conference, and she blew me away. And through a series of what had to be God moments, I was able to meet her and then interview her and I couldn't be more pleased. I am sure that you are gonna be just as captivated by her as I was. And take away some really important lessons that will really shape the way you do things. So here's Dr. Joan Prince, enjoy this episode. I am here today with Dr. Joan Prince. And as a little introduction to my listeners, I want to tell you my first experience with Dr. Joan Prince. I was at a leadership conference in January where you were speaking. Yes. And the pastor who had put it all together, he came up. This is probably going to be familiar to you. You probably know where I'm going already. But to start off the day, he said, you know, after every plenary, we're going to have a chance for Q&A. And since I am not going to give my phone number to 1,300 people, we set up a Gmail account so you can all put in your questions and I'll go through them and then we'll go through and we'll... So we're all writing this down and we're all going through. <laughs> Dr. Prince walks in and this is how I described it to my friends who weren't there. You took command of the stage. Oh. Like you came on, not in a, I'm here, right, but right. I'm comfortable. I know what I'm doing. How are you all doing? Let's talk. And at the end of your talk, you said, I'm not afraid to give my phone number to 1300 Certainly. people. It is too sick. <laughs> and here I am scrambling. I'm like, and I, I looked at the woman next to me. I'm like, I, I love this woman. <laughs> so that was my introduction oh. to you. If someone doesn't know you, hasn't met you, what would be your 30, 60 second? Oh. This is who I am. How would you describe yourself? I describe myself as Joni from the block. <laughs> well, I'm born with a PhD, so Joni. Uh, born and raised in Milwaukee, uh, a child of God who's just here trying to make a difference for as long as he has me leased uh, to this earth. That's Joan. Um, you take the skills and treasures God gives you and you make it work. That's who I am. That is beautiful. And that actually makes a lot of sense as I've read your biographies uh -huh. and different things. I can see that now that that's what you're doing and that's where you're coming from. Yeah. So. Nia, my producer, and I were talking before you came because I was telling her I wanted to do a little timeline of 
where things have come Ooh, from. A timeline, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, one of the key things, yeah. key phrases I took out of your talk at the okay. leadership conference was gospel-centered change. Yes. And that seemed so important to me. But when I look at where things have gone from the Emancipation Proclamation, which was in 1863, and then oh, it wow. took 15 years for the 14th Amendment to give black people equal protection under the law. And then it was another two years between the, before the 15th Amendment gave black men the right exactly. to vote. Exactly. And then it was 1941. We're talking almost 80 years later that FDR, thanks to pressure, opened jobs to everybody regardless of race. Yes. So black people served hero heroically during World War II, but we're, we're segregated. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And so, so World War II, they're serving, but they're facing a lot of discrimination. 1954, segregation's illegal in schools, but we all know what happened. That didn't yeah. open things up. It did not. 1955 is Rosa Parks. She was arrested for not giving a white man her seat. Right. Um, in 1957, nine black students volunteered to leave their all-black school to, to integrate into an all-white school. Courageous. Courageously. And they were met with National Guard. They were met with mobs of angry people. Absolutely. And that's sort of where the civil rights movement started. And that's what you grew up in. You grew, grew up, up in right that. in that era Absolutely in Milwaukee. Did. Absolutely did. Tell me what that was like growing up in that era. You know, it was an interesting time in Milwaukee. Uh, I was a young girl when Milwaukee had what they called their riots. Uh, when I act, what I remember, I remember segregation in Milwaukee very well. You do? I do. There was uh, a movie theater in Milwaukee that uh, we sat in the balcony as a little kid. I don't remember doing it for long, but I do remember it. And uh, interestingly enough, my neighborhood was changing. So I remember vaguely an integrated neighborhood, uh, German, Polish, but they were moving out. They were moving out into the suburbs because more uh, African-Americans were moving in. There was a teacher shortage. And so they recruited from black uh, teacher colleges. Mm. And that's really how most African-Americans got here to Milwaukee. So I grew up in that changing time. Uh, I remember well uh, Martin Luther King, the first time he came to Milwaukee, and I didn't understand the importance of him, but my, he, he was around the corner from my home. My brother took us, and I, my brother put me on his shoulders. Your my brother was oldest older? brother. Yes, yeah. I'm the youngest, okay, okay. the youngest sibling, and put me on his shoulder, and I was looking at this man who was standing on an overturned milk carton. Oh. talking to the crowd, and everyone was just in awe and just trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. Father Grappi in Milwaukee, Milwaukeeans will remember that priest who led the civil rights march across the bridge uh, to try to protest segregated housing, segregated jobs. So that's the era I grew up in in Milwaukee um, as a young child. Very well aware. Yes, absolutely. You said something at the leadership conference that I had never heard of before. Okay. You said the brown paper bag test. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell, say what that is. So it's, it, thank goodness, it's, it's an archaic way of 
internally to African-Americans looking at each other. And you had to pass not just African-Americans, but those uh, that were non-African-Americans to who would allow you in. But you had to be either the color of or lighter than. Your skin had to be of a brown paper bag. To go certain places. To go certain places. That is just seems to be let to into certain places. Yeah. Yeah. That, and who who decides that? Well, who decides? That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. When who it's not gospel-centered. Um, right. There, well, when it's not gospel-centered, that's where the issue comes in. Yeah. Right? For, for us and for our society, that's where the issue comes in. You have to look at race. You have to look at equity. You have to look at equality. Uh, around God's commands and, mm -hmm. you know, how we bring in uh, all, all nations. I just love that, the Great Commission. It's all nations. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when it's not gospel-centered, those are the principles that others live by and guide themselves by. Okay, so Joan, tell me what gospel-centered changes, because when you were talking about it at the leadership conference, I felt it was something so needed because so often when we want change, we want to force change. We want to make people manipulate change. But you talked about gospel-centered change. Yes. What do you mean by that? So gospel-centered change is really change that's aligned with uh, our truth, our beliefs, our religion, our faith. That's gospel-centered change because that's lasting change. So that's why we call it gospel-centered. It isn't about uh, returning hate with hate. Yeah. It isn't about um, being the victim. It is about how do I look at myself through what Christ has said to me? And then how do I go out and help make that change? And that's change that's uh, forever existing. It's lasting when it's gospel-centered. It isn't a fad mm -hmm. for the day, right? It's something that I can always go back to and hold up my Bible and say, I'm doing this because it says here to do it. And it seems like you have a firm grip on who your identity is in Christ. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter what the world says. It no, doesn't matter what your boss it says. It doesn't matter what someone else says. Your identity in Christ is such that you're valuable. You have... Absolutely. The Great Commission, we're all valuable. Yeah. There's a place here for each and every one of us. The gospel-centered unity mm. ensures that we're embracing everyone in our change and that they're embracing us. It, what is it? If you walk together with each other, you'll get to the same destination together. If I'm in front of you and you're, you know, a mile behind me, I may get to the finish line before you, but I won't have input. We haven't been able to talk and maneuver right. along the way. And the guide, the guide on that path is our faith. Mm. You know, it's the gospel-centered way of making the journey. That's gospel-centered unity. Love that. So do you think you were motivated by this growing up in this era because you were the first African-American, male or female, correct? Yes. To receive a bachelor's degree in medical technology. Yes. And a master's in clinical laboratory yes. sciences. Yes. So what motivated you? Who motivated you well, to, I, to yeah. break these barriers down? So my dad, my I had the best parents in the world. I know people say that, but I really feel it. I, they were just, they were both factory workers. My dad was in the segregated army because the army was still segregated uh, for many years. It was at, even after 1954. So he was in the segregated army and they were both, they just pushed us. They did not accept uh, mediocrity. 
Uh, it didn't matter whether you were the oldest, the middle child, or the youngest. Uh, you had to do what others did. It was a civil rights movement. Yeah. So if Rosa Parks could take a seat, if you know the Little Rock Nine could take a seat, I could go to Wisconsin Lutheran High School and integrate it. You know, they can do it. If you, every parent, every good parent mm -hmm. or guardian wants their child to do better than them. Yes, And that right. was the guiding force uh, for my parents. They didn't take mediocrity for an answer. It was like, oh, too bad. Don't like it? Guess what? You're going to do it. And so I had that push always. And did that... Did you feel uncomfortable doing some of those things? Even though you were pushed to do it, did it make you uncomfortable? Absolutely. I mean, whether you, whatever you stand for, when you're 12 or 13, you're yeah. still 12 or 13. Right. Whether you're nine or 10, you're still nine or 10. You want to play with the person next door to you. Right, you right, want right. to walk into a high school uh, as any terrified ninth grader would do yeah. and hope that you're going to be able to make friends instead of facing ink being poured in your locker, nasty notes being taped to you. Um, one of my friends actually had her hair cut by the guy that was sitting behind her uh, in study hall. She didn't even realize it and he had taken a scissor and cut her hair. You don't, you, you don't um, look at yourself always through the lens of this educated, it makes sense to do this. Right. You are still a child. You are still a teenager. You're still an adult walking into a room where no one looks like you, no one right. thinks like you. Everyone has a stereotypical view of you. So that's where your faith comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's where my faith uh, came in. I went through it all. I went through the tears. I went through the laughter. Uh, I made two friends that I am still friends with to this day. Uh, but it was difficult. I won't say it was easy. It was very, very difficult because it was a changing world yes. and the world couldn't even figure it out. Right. And it didn't stop with high school. No. You were one of two African-Americans in your building at your first job, correct? Oh, And absolutely. the other one was a dishwasher. She was the dishwasher. Thank you, Anita. She was uh, a wonderful woman. Uh, at that time, we had glassware that had to be washed and uh, I hired her. I made sure that's at this position. Uh, we need a person from the community. It doesn't take a college degree. Yeah. And she, they loved her. She was wonderful. But that was a very interesting time for me. Uh, 28 years old um, and my entire cohort of coworkers uh, and my staff who had to report to me um, did not look like me. Yep. Uh, many of them had never, ever worked or talked to someone who looked like me. In Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. And at that time, a number of them drove into Milwaukee. Okay, so they as were well living for in the their suburbs. Jobs. Exactly. Uh, but some did live in Milwaukee. Uh, what our, our viewers and our listeners need to understand is that Milwaukee is very segregated housing-wise. So African-Americans lived north of Wisconsin Avenue, which is the dividing line in our downtowns uh, of the city. And uh, non-African-Americans lived south. And it was very segregated until uh, legally uh, that was changed because there were lawsuits around fair housing. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, uh, walked into an environment 
where I now had to write employee evaluations. I had to assign scheduling. I had to hold meetings. Uh, you combine that with a 28, 29-year-old yeah. uh, and all of these spaces looking at me like, who is she and what is she going to tell me? So there again, your faith, uh, your good mentors and advisors, uh, that's what I walked into. And that's what I'm used to uh, for my life. I don't walk into a room looking for differences, mm -hmm. but I also walk into a room knowing that the differences are there. Okay. But clearly they saw something in you that they made you a supervisor and that they put you in a leadership position. Yeah. So someone was pulling for you. Oh, absolutely. In there, in there the, you know, and oh, which is nice that you have, wonderful. you have friends somewhere going, no, she is absolutely capable of this position. And I think that's a great point to bring up. Yeah. That you don't walk through life alone. There you, you go. You never know. Who might be your advocate, silent or verbal, right? Yes. And I had three of the physicians. At that time, the really? physicians ran the laboratory. Nice. And they were three physicians, actually three brothers, Italian brothers. They're my friends to this day. And they brought me in for the interview, told me exactly what I would probably run into. Yeah. And they were my advocates for my entire time there. Yep. That's what I'm doing a lot of right now as I look back at things in my life, even yes. some of the hardest things. Oh, I'm yeah. looking for the ways that God was there. All the time. And you can see them in hindsight, right? even when they were hard to see at the time. But when you go back and you go, oh, that's where God was. Absolutely. You know, the older you get, too. <laughs> as someone told me, a young man told me this actually uh, a couple months ago. He said, you're not older, Dr. J. You have you're a woman with high mileage. So I don't know which one is better or worse. Well, but... personally, I love Dr. J. Oh, yeah, they call me as Dr. J. As much as the high mileage, I might use both of them. So, so. so, so as a woman with high mileage, uh, I would say, you know, it's easy to look back. It's not as easy when you're going through it. And I tell everyone, no. I don't know how you live life without faith. Mm -hmm. Because there were many times that I just had to keep remembering, okay, God's with me, you yeah. know, I, I can get through this. And there were times when I thought I can't get through this, right? Yeah. Everything doesn't, doesn't, is not easy. Mm -hmm. But that's where you go back to your faith. And that's where you go back to the Italian brothers so yeah. that it, your faith tells you everyone doesn't think like this. Everyone doesn't look at you differently. Amen. And you have to try to find that uh, in yourself. And that, that's where faith comes in. Yeah. Constant leaning yeah. on God. Milwaukee is commonly known as one of the most segregated cities in the U.S. Yes. So how or has that changed at all in your lifetime? Well, hopefully it's changed somewhat in my lifetime. Um, the segregated housing was a big issue uh, when, when I was a kid. You could only, if you could buy a home as an African-American, it was only in a certain um, zip code area. Uh, I remember clearly that my dad, when he wanted to buy our house, his boss bought it for him and sold it back to him the next day. Was his boss white or African-American? His boss was white. And oh, he had God to buy bless it. bless that man. And, uh, well, and bless the attorney, from what I understand, who agreed really? to make all of this happen. Uh, Milwaukee was segregated. 
And yeah. what year was that? That was like in the 50s? Oh, that was the 50s, 60s? late 50s. Late, I'm thinking of my age, late 50s, early 60s, early 60s. Uh, and that wasn't so uncommon here uh, in Milwaukee. But how is it today then? Well, so how, how are you doing today? I think we are, we've made major changes. Okay. If you look at our elected officials, just because they're people of color doesn't make it all change. Uh, but I would say totally, totally different than it was, thank goodness, uh, back mm -hmm. in the time of the civil rights. We still have a long way to go in many areas. Uh, housing is not 100% desegregated. Um, our, our communities are changing okay. uh, to a point where they're starting to be, they're more homogenous than um, uh, all of us living together. Uh, and I think, again, that that's the work that we have here. Mm -hmm. But it is a city with a very, very segregated past that has been working very hard to change that. I love that you have not left. Because, you know, oh. you have risen through the ranks. Thank you. And it would be easy to go somewhere where it would be God, easier. But you're staying in the fight. You better believe it. This is home. Uh, Milwaukee is, at the end of the day, a great city where you can meet anyone you like, mm. uh, from the person that owns the grocery store to the mayor. It's very easy to connect. Uh, it's always easy to walk away, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. don't think that's where God places me or or people who care. Uh, you're here for the fight. Everybody can't walk away and everybody and some people should because mm -hmm. destiny and God may be taking them elsewhere. Yeah. This is where God planted me and this is where I chose uh, to sprout my leaves. And he graced you with a bit of tenacity, I think. I'm thinking so. I'm thinking so. We're, we're working on that, Lord. It's I, I'm, I'm a work in progress, but yes, I, I would say. I have a little bit of that in my own way, too. So I, 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 I appreciate it. <laughs> so I'm from Minnesota. Yes. 2020, George Floyd. Yes. It it blew Minnesota up. It did. In a bad way. It did. We, we were not proud of that. Um, unfortunately, the news headlines even today have things that are racially yes. unjust Absolutely. that we don't like to see. There will be people listening today who say, Dr. J, how, how do you have hope for racial reconciliation? How do you find hope when the headlines keep doing this or this or this? When, when we see there's still so much tragedy, where's the hope in that? So I would say, first of all, never give up hope. Once you give up on hope, then why are we here? Right. So never give up on hope. What we, there is so much that needs to be done around reconciliation. I would say a couple of things. Number one, you hear always the bad, you never hear the good. Yeah. And I would hope that there is much more good being done in the world of, of racial reconciliation. Uh, I've, I said this at the conference and I'll say it again. I think our Senate uh, has a role to play. Mm -hmm. If not, if we as faith-based individuals, as Christians, as those that hold the Bible as the truth, if we don't get into the middle of the conversation, I think we're not only missing an opportunity, but I think we're missing what God has called us to do. So racial reconciliation, I, you know, I throw that back, that baton back yeah. to the Senate and say, so what you gonna do? 
Yeah, because it really is rolling up the sleeves, right? It's rolling up the sleeves and getting in the neighborhoods. Getting, yeah. And it's also, I think, what you said at first is so key. You know, even in the George Floyd incident, you had the people taking the videos saying, get off him. You know, you had voices from the crowd saying, this isn't right. Stop. You know, it wasn't everybody against one person. No. There there are a lot of other voices in the crowd. Absolutely. That are saying, we don't want this. Two years ago, it might have even been last year, you know, COVID, I can't remember anything anymore. But two years ago, I came up, I was in Minneapolis for Mm -hmm. uh, a conference and we went over to, you know, the George Floyd uh, Memorial. Uh, But more importantly, about a half a block away, uh, and you've probably been there, is the mock cemetery of headstones Mm -hmm. of individuals that were slain in similar similar ways. And while I stood there looking at this field, and it's a field of headstones, there happened to be a white couple that came up behind me. And she was crying so hard. I felt so bad for her. So I hug her. She's hugging me. And her husband, who I found out later was her husband, he starts crying. So we're all standing there hugging each other. So when you talk about racial reconciliation, I think you have to start with the premise that everyone is not evil on on any side of the Mm -hmm. discussion. And we have to find the points that are going to bring us together to be representative of each other's feelings at the table, during decision making. Uh, Just representation does matter. It is not uh, a political term. Representation matters. Just ask the different tribes Mm -hmm. in the Bible representation mattered, right? Right. And at the leadership conference, some of those very easy, simple things for the average person listening who belongs to a church is might be a different music choice. It might be, it might be choosing your words differently. Yes. It's just simple things. It's very simple things. You know, we, 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 it's, it's so easy to reach out it's not 1920, where you didn't have <laughs> the internet, not. where right. you couldn't say, well, I live in a homogenous community, so this doesn't apply to me. Uh, wrong answer. We can yeah. Zoom with each other. Our, our Sunday services can be informed. Why wouldn't a young kid from the central city of Milwaukee want to talk to their counterparts up in the UP? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? Why not connect yeah. them? It's their world. Right. They're, they're coming into their world. That's where we wow. can start to think about racial reconciliation. Those are the kinds of discussions we're having at Seabird. How do we connect individuals who feel they, the only thing that they know about each other is what's on television? Absolutely wrong environment, but mm-hmm. racial reconciliation. Senate, throwing the gavel at you. Pick it up. Pick it up. I love that. You know, I noticed everywhere you went, you became a leader. Oh. So... You've served on many boards, many <laughs> councils. <laughs> yes. And and I'd be reading through and she was on this board and then she led the board, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yes. But it seems to be a a recurring theme in your life that you'd you'd start. They saw the leadership in you. Oh, hopefully, you hopefully, you yes. were a leader. And two words that kept sticking out to me were education and service. Uh-huh. Do you think those are two words that kind of sum up? A lot of what you've done in your life, or did I? No, 
I, th I, th I think you're right. I fell into education. So that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Why did you pursue these two things? Service was always a part of everything for me. Why? I, How? Well, I was... You know, some right people nine. don't... Some people yeah. see all the changes and their last inkling is to serve. You saw oh, so many things that needed I to be changed. It. That's exactly right. You flipped it. Yeah. You saw what needed to change. Absolutely. And you got to work serving, Absolutely. which a lot of people don't do. A lot of people say... That that's all wrong. I'm not being a part of part it, of it, which is why I yeah. saw something different in you. Oh. So service and education. So the service was first. I was nine years old. My big thing is literacy. So I'm a library okay. geek <laughs> and a supporter of libraries. But at nine years old, you'll love this. I was the chair, the youth chair of the Billy the Bookworm Club for the Milwaukee <laughs> well, Public Library. Right. <laughs> and so that was the first board I served on. But I think my lens from the civil rights uh, era, from the chaos that was going on, I knew that things weren't fair. Yeah. And I thought, when I grow up, I don't want another kid who has to walk through this. I, I, it just makes no sense. You know, there are days, and, and this is sort of a, in our community, we, in my culture, we talk about, there are days you don't want to be a teacher. You just want to go in the grocery store and buy your groceries and go home, right? I have a dear friend who's a teacher. She's yeah. been in education her yeah. whole life. And we talk about our retirement jobs. You know, yes. I'm going to be at Caribou handing people <laughs> coffees and say, have a nice day. And you she's going to check people out at there the grocery store like, hey, have a nice the day. Walmart no thinking. Announcer. No, sir. You don't want to think it through. Sometimes you don't want to teach. Just make people happy. Just make people happy. So my sir, I, I believed in service first. Okay. And I actually was the math science girl. I wanted to be a doctor. And I, I got to college and I thought, oh, I'm having fun looking in the microscope. I think I like yeah. this better. So I did the healthcare side, but I was always teaching. So I worked with the residents and other individuals and ended up um, heading to U University of Wisconsin Medical School, taught there and uh, just flipped over to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee uh, side as vice chancellor. Um, education is a part of everything I do. So it's not standing in front of a classroom because I did more administration and research. Uh, but it, the service piece, I, I couldn't think of having a job or a career without each piece of it dealing with service. I just can't imagine that. It's just ingrained in who you are. It's ingrained. It's were your parents servers? And yeah, my parents, they were such hard workers. And my dad, you know, worked first and second shifts. So um, I, we, we got to see him in the morning quickly before we went to school uh, because, you know, we were asleep when he came home. But my parents were always servers. They were, um, they didn't find, um, they weren't co-founders of the church. They came in a year later mm. after the church was, uh, was put together. But they've always taught us, you give back, you, you, you don't hold in. Uh, we didn't get very much for Christmas, uh, but what we got, it was always pick one thing to give away. Really? Pick one thing to give away. And my mother would look at us a little crazy if you picked you know, a piece of candy or the, the you couldn't pick <laughs> the, the orange. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> somebody needs an orange, orange, right? Somebody <laughs> needs some vitamin C. No, they, they didn't go for that. So that, that feeling of there's always someone, and I'll just say this quickly. I was, I don't remember my age. It was, what I do remember is that it was the night before Thanksgiving. 
and our house burnt down. Oh. Our house and the house is on both sides. And I was, I was young. I don't remember. I, I'd say maybe eight. I don't remember. But what I do know, that did a lot of shaping for us as well. We don't hold, we didn't hold on to things. Yeah. We didn't put value on those kinds of things. We were happy that we all got out, including our dog. Yeah. So I think that shaped me as well, shaped my entire family as well, mm -hmm. uh, and parents that put everything in perspective. That's Everything neat. in perspective for us. So as I read about what you've done, yeah. it seemed that you have a keen sense of strategy. I try. You, you see what needs to be done and you facilitate solutions. You don't let any people, anybody get in your way, or it doesn't seem like, maybe. I try I, not to. Yeah, yeah. But how did you do that diplomatically with that Christ-centered, rather than forcing change? The one thing that I learned is that you can't force change or it's not going to be real change. Yeah. Uh, you can legalize change, but you can't, it's very difficult to force true change. Mm -hmm. And that's why you tie everything back to your faith. You tie everything back to the truth. And the truth is, is that, you know, we, were, we are called, our faith, my faith tells me to go out and reach all nations. Yep. It doesn't say pick the ones that are most like you. It doesn't say, you know, you can't communicate with or authentically uh, care about the person that lives next door to you, the person that you don't even know right. that might need shelter or food. So for me, I would always see, there was always an obstacle. You know, I didn't, we didn't get to just grow up right. and play. There was always, yes, but this is how you have to act in this situation yep. or do this. And I always thought, tell me I can't do it <laughs> and you're going to be in trouble because I'm going to figure out a, way to, a way to do it. And to do that, you have to build relationships. And those are really important to me and those helped me. Mm -hmm. So I can strategize and always part of my strategy is how do you talk to other people? How do you try to help them see what we have in common? Yeah. And that we are 99.9% .9 alike, yep. and we fight over the tenth of a percent that makes us different, right? So with that in mind, you don't force change. Were there ever times that you saw something, a road that you wanted to go down, and you just realized that wasn't going to happen, and you just switched direction, so you go the road that works? Well, you don't take the easy road. Yeah. I like difficult roads because, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's got to be a way to get around the barrier and get to your destination, right? And, and that's the fun of life. Life can't be that easy. That's the fun of it. But I do think that we all run into obstacles and say either, number one, it's not worth it. Right. It's not part of my plan. I don't have time to spend on this. What's another way to reach my destination? And that's how I look at there you go. life. And that's how I look at problems. Mm -hmm. I try to remember God's commandments. And if God says to me, this is what I tell you to do, doesn't always tell you how to do it. Yeah. So I can't take an easy road. I have to take the road that is more exhaustive. Mm -hmm. And if I can't get where I'm going, uh, then I'm like, okay, uh, Lord, we need to 
talk for a moment, you know, <laughs> put your coffee down. I need to have a conversation <laughs> with you because I tried this and it didn't work. Right. So life is about strategizing through problems. I always say it's about the roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. You pray, 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 pray. As you go up the roller coaster, you get to the top, you're waving and you're smiling. I made it. Thank you, God. But remember, it's always going to go down. Right. So the difficult times drive you down. And that faith helped me with strategies on the way down mm -hmm. so you don't give up. You, yep. you try to figure out, okay, Lord, how do I handle this? Mm -hmm. We all go through that. That's That's That doesn't matter what race I'm classified yep. by, what gender I'm classified by. That's in all of us. That's in all human beings. And as Christians, mm -hmm. right, yep. our job yep. is to not only hold on to our fellow Christians, but to the non-believers too. There you go. Because they deserve prayer and help mm -hmm. like the rest of us. Yeah. I like what you said though at the at the beginning when you were saying, you know, sometimes you recognize this fight isn't worth my time oh, exactly. or this isn't my fight. No. And the older I get, when I get to those points where I'm up against a wall, I stop and pray like, Lord, is this my fight? Right. Or is this me wasting time and energy on something that I'm not supposed to be doing when you're exactly. saying, hey, that's a dead end because I want you to go that way. Right. And I think too many people sometimes get stuck knocking on a door that isn't meant to open. Yeah. For them right. necessarily, like just go around, go you don't this have way. To do it all. It's not all. Yeah. There's a saying in my culture that I say all the time. Sometimes it's not your water to carry. Yep. It's not your that's water to carry. Mm -hmm. And you have to think. I think that's how you grow, how you mature in life, how you yeah. mature as a Christian. Is this my water to carry? Maybe it's Amber's water to carry. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe yep. it's Joanne's water to carry. It's not mine and it doesn't have to be me. Right. But that's that's how you learn. And I think but I do think that comes with maturity. It does. Because when I was younger, I was like, oh, please keep beating down the door. Beating. Well, it's shut, you know, but yeah, yeah I don't yeah. have the same energy I had. <laughs> well, now I understand that. <laughs> so in 2012, you were yes. appointed as a delegate to the United Nations. Yes. Tell us about that experience. That was, I would say, one of the highlights. I can only um, imagine. To, to actually occupy the United States chair in the General Assembly of the United Nations and the weight of voting for the U.S., for standing up in front of 195 plus other nations to get them to see our points of view, uh, to the relationships that I built. Yes. To just understand that talking across, it didn't even matter. We had, a, there are a number of people where English, if even though it wasn't their first language, they tried and we still couldn't understand each other. But I will tell you, signing, like mm -hmm. we'd go to lunch, we'd go to dinner, <laughs> we'd figure it out. Yeah. And I kept thinking, if we can talk to each other's, each other as ambassadors, what could our nations do together that would be so powerful, right? So it was it was fabulous. I, you know, I, I loved, and I'll say this quickly, but I love to tell the story. When the White House uh, Office of the President called me to set up the appointment, I was standing at an Amtrak station, and I thought it was my brother playing a joke, so I hung up on them. <gasps> you sure did, did not. Oh, yeah, I did. It was so much fun. I hung up on them because I thought it was my brother. They call right back. <laughs> And they go, Dr. No, this Prince, is the this really isn't Eugene. I don't, we don't know who Eugene is. <laughs> this is, so here's the number and call us back. And I'm looking at this. So it was them. 
Uh, so just the whole process was interesting. But the day I was sworn in, I can't even imagine, I can't explain in words, just the feeling of, you know, swearing that you are going to uphold ABCD, so help me God. And uh, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful to represent our nation. Uh, and it was wonderful to be able to do it, I think, from a gospel-centered lens. Yeah. Because there were some points that they wanted me to speak on that I refused because I didn't believe it. And I will say that the administration was wonderful. They said, fine, if you can't morally or ethically say this, then they had one of their staffers do that presentation. So there were, I can't say what they were obviously oh, because fine. of uh, security, but there were some things that I just refused to say and they stood by me. How long did you serve? I only got to serve a year. Okay. Got to serve a year. It was, I can, you know, to, to get on a plane and travel internationally. So does understand. your life back here have to get put on hold? So, so do that's you a leave really a job? Question. So no. So I want to thank my chancellors and everyone in the UW system because it was hilarious. So I told Mr. President at that time, I said, Mr. President, I don't think my job is going to let me do this. And I, I'm not wealthy. I need my job and I need my pension that will come later. Right. And uh, he laughed and he said, don't worry about that. We'll have a conversation with them. And they were fabulous. They put my job on hold. Um, I was able to call in when I could call in. They worked with me. I brought students out to the UN faculty. Oh. It was wonderful. And I just, I'm so appreciative of the support that I received locally and internationally. It was great. Yeah, sounds like. So you moved from here to, to New, New York. York. Mm -hmm. and, and you stay there the entire year? The entire, yes, absolutely. Wow. Came back and forth when I could. Uh-huh. But what an experience. It was How did that change you? Uh, it changed me in a number of ways. It helped me see that relationships really are the key uh, when it comes to not only, you know, I, I'm not a minister, so I did, I'm not a pastor, so mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think I preach the gospel, but what I do is it guides how I act with people mm -hmm. and how I hope that they will respond back to me. So I think it changed me because when you look at places outside of your normal zip code. Yeah. We're all God's children. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful to see people in their native dress, speaking their native tongue. But they'd come into, you know, if I'd invite them over to the U.S. Uh, building, uh, they'd come in. I'd have my Bible on my desk, my, you know, and um, other things to realize how similar we are. Yes. And... It helped for me in many ways affirm my life mm -hmm. and how I approached it, um, eliminating stereotypes. It really changed me. I am so appreciative of that experience. I don't think there's any way I would have been able to connect with so many different people yeah. from so many different nations. And even those that um, weren't totally faith-based, mm -hmm. It was an opportunity to show them what faith can do. Yeah. And I imagine that living your whole life in Milwaukee, all of a sudden it opens the world to you in I, a way that yeah. it wasn't before. In, in a more of an international way, but yeah. I've always been a traveler when I could. 
when I could, when I, the opportunities would started to come up when I um, started my first job. So there were conferences being yep. held around. So I got to travel uh, in the U.S. By the time I, I got to the university uh, and even the medical school, I was traveling around the world to present at conferences. Uh, so I've had many blessed, blessed opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, the world is smaller than you think. Yeah. I look at it as a zip code. It's its own international zip code. And with technology that. nowadays, like we're speaking, you can speak to someone in Bangkok and then yes. turn around and talk to someone uh, in Australia right. within the same hour. So mm -hmm. it's it's a great way to just spread gospel-centered unity. Yeah. And how much easier is it to do it today than it would have been 50 years ago? Right. Oh, for sure. So for somebody who doesn't know what the Seabert Foundation is, oh, so you're a big part of the Seabert Foundation I too. <laughs> what is the Seabert Foundation sure. and when and how did you get involved with it? What drew you yeah. to that? Well, Seabert is actually what I love. It's a pan-Lutheran foundation, mm -hmm. uh, meaning that uh, our board is made up of Lutherans from all synods, mm -hmm. from all of our synods. And to just watch, you know, I talked earlier about relationships yep. and gospel-centered uh, it's gospel-centered philanthropy, gospel-centered yeah. gifting. And so to have our Lutheran colleagues from across different uh, synods sitting at the table uh, talking about, let's gift here, let's gift there, and just watching everyone say, this is about Lutheranism, mm -hmm. uh, and it's about our communities and what this money that was gifted by Mr. Siebert, who was actually the son of a Lutheran minister, and Is he, that right? And he, he took the Milwaukee Tool Company, he, right? He created Milwaukee. He absolutely Milwaukee Tool. I think Tool. I drove past a Milwaukee. They're celebrating. They're, the red? they're celebrating a big birthday okay. uh, next year. But Milwaukee Tool, and I love to tell folks this man's faith, because he uh, operated during uh, the Great Depression during the twenties, and his last will and testament says he got down on his knees and prayed, God, if you save my company. I will gift everything to you when I die. The company survived. It flourished. It was sold. Uh, he did quite well during the sale, mm -hmm. took care of his family, and left the rest to create this foundation. Wow. So um, it's based here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, we gift throughout the state, and hopefully uh, one day we'll be able to gift outside of the state. But I was approached. I thought, uh I don't know if I want to take much more on, but when I went to meet the other directors, I thought this is where God is leading me, absolutely leading me here, uh, to reach across the boundaries of um, our different synods to say, we do have some things in common. Yeah. You know, we all started in one place. Uh, you've retired from- you Well, don't. that's what they say. <laughs> I think I failed that. <laughs> I was going to say, because I just saw, I just, I typed your name in last week just oh, to no. make sure. And you're now on the Board of Regents, I, I see. I am, I so, am. And you're doing the Seabird Foundation. So you are not resting in retirement oh, no. much. Well, see, okay, full disclosure. Reti the word retirement needs to come out of our vocabulary. There's no such thing. that I think retirement is truly uh, mortal death. That's what I, how my I look at retirement. My parents would totally agree. My yeah. dad is almost 80, still working. Oh, absolutely. He refuses to stop. So my and why, and why, But why should he? Yeah. Why should he? Who determines when you're done with what yeah. you do? Right. 
So I will tell you, I think about, uh, this is my 3.0. This is my 3.0 of my life. And I get to do this part pretty much my way. Yeah. I don't ever have to write another employee evaluation. I, you know, there are things that I am now doing that yeah. I choose to do. And that's really what this phase is. It's not a retirement from life. Yeah. It's about taking the treasures, the talent that you've been gifted, making sure I continue to serve, Mm -hmm. and making sure that I get to do it Joan's way now. Is there a specific change that you're working towards now at this point in your life? You know, there is. I think the change that I'm working toward is making sure that I stay focused on what's important. Ooh, that's good. That's really where I want to go. Uh, you know, people ask this little cryptic question of me all the time. You know, what do you want on your tombstone? I thought, really? Uh, but but I'll say this. I want two words. She tried. That's what my mom said. She tried. That's, that's all I want. See, I like your mom. Yeah, your mom and I are channeling here. But that's really all I want is to say she tried. Mm -hmm. Not she did, but she tried. And this is what I tried to do. So this to me is what I focus on now. I mean, I'm not the race isn't over. No. The mortal race isn't over until, you know, God calls me home. Uh, but I just want to try. I want to keep trying. Okay. I need you to speak to, okay. it's mostly women All right. who, who listen to little things. And so there's a woman out there and she sees something in her life. Maybe it's in her neighborhood. Maybe it's her employment. Maybe mm -hmm. it's in her marriage. Maybe mm -hmm. it's in her church. She would love to see change. Oh, okay. But she just doesn't know how to do it, how to go about oh. it. What would your advice be to her? Well, my advice would be, again, go back to the relationship piece to start. Let that be your framework. Who do you need to build a relationship with? So write your problem down. Mm -hmm. Write the ending down, where, what you would like to see. Yeah. And then you make your bullet points in the middle. Mm -hmm. Make your first bullet point. Who do I need to build a relationship with? So if it's in your church, Maybe you need to have the side conversation with your pastor, with the you know, council president. Who do I need to actually be able to voice my opinion to and talk about from a gospel-centered way, what, what do you think is a good way to address that? So build that initial relationship. Yeah. I would say don't get frustrated as number two because hmm. things Ooh. don't always go your way. So how do you avoid that then? So the frustration yeah. comes when you... Hit that when you wall. hit the wall, step back, step back and reassess your strategy. Mm. Did you build the relationship with the right people? Were you clear in your message? Mm. Uh, the one thing that I have learned and I would say to this person is yelling and screaming doesn't work. No, it does not work. But it also doesn't mean that you sit with your hands in your lap like and you. hope that a change will come. <laughs> I like that's you. not happening. <laughs> You'll Unless be your hands are folded yes. and you're saying, God, what's the exactly. next step? That's exactly. the only way. So if your hands are folded, I'm hoping that you're praying. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're sitting there waiting for the change to come, we'll all be dead. <laughs> uh, the, but I would say frustration comes with, with the work. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn when to step back, when to open up that Bible and say, okay, I need, a, I need an encouragement uh, passage here. I would also look for common allies. That's Are there any I other agree. women? Yeah. Are there any other in particular men? See, we as women oftentimes think 
that men should be left out of the conversation. I don't know where we got that from, but everyone is in this together. Oh yeah. And if you can build relationships across gender, across race, across political thinking, across it all, that's where you're going to build your strongest group of mm -hmm. allies. Very quickly, someone said something to me once and take it or leave it for what it is because it was a political person, a publicly elected person uh, when I was uh, in the UN, at the UN. I was advocating for something that the US wanted. So I ate lots of lunches and dinners with different <laughs> ambassadors from different nations to get them to see the US point because when it was the voting day, I needed them to vote with me. Mm -hmm. And one of the ambassadors, uh, one of my colleagues said to me, I do not agree with 100% of what you are saying, but I am going to vote for you because I know, vote for the US issue, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say for me, but for the US issue, because I know that you will have your eyes on it and it will be right. And I thought, thank you God, because that's the relationship I wanted with that ambassador and with that nation. So I would say um, to they this woman, you. Trusted they trusted me, you trusted and that me, relationship. And that's so important. So build that council of, of like-minded people. Yeah. And it's okay to get weary. That's the final thing, I, piece of advice. Don't knock yourself if you get weary. The road for all change comes with weariness, uh, small victories along the way, probably more obstacles along the way. Mm. But if you start with your Bible and you end with your Bible, you'll make it You'll make it to the point where God wants you to make it. Mm. You may not see the finish. I always think about, wasn't it poor Moses who did all this work and then had to sit on the other side and <laughs> wave? Never got to the promise. Never, never even hey, got there, poor baby. Hey, the transfiguration, but, he was there. He hey, made it. He made it. After death. He made it, but he didn't get it in, this life, in his right. lifetime, right? right? So it may not be for you to see the final, mm -hmm. but guess what? Your hands will be all over the process. Yeah. And all that matters is that you finish doing the best that you can. Mm -hmm. That's the advice I would give her. Yeah, and even if you don't see the outcome, you've okay. carved a path for someone okay. else. God sees someone it. Else will, God know. sees the outcome. Yeah. You don't have to be there to see the end. Oh, I love that. Yeah, don't stress <sighs> over that. Dr. J, I love talking with you. Thank you oh, for spending some time with us. I'm sure lots of people will have lots of encouragement from this interview. Thank you so much for asking me. And oh, just happy to. Anytime you call. <laughs>